You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm sitting down with Andrew Dettelbach and Katie Goss of Wealth. I found Wealth on Instagram a few months back and have been following them ever since. Their entire mission and core beliefs is that your health is your wealth. Straight from their website is their mission statement. Your health is your true currency that dictates how you will spend your time, both in years and quality. Take ownership of your health and live the life you deserve. I was particularly drawn in because both of them struggle with hypermobility syndrome, as do I, as do so many people, and it often goes undiagnosed. If you know my background, you know that it was in prolotherapy and regenerative injections. I saw a ton of people with undiagnosed hypermobility syndrome. We hypermobile folks are a little loosey-goosey and we have our own set of rules that we have to live by. This can be a bit of a challenge when it comes to strength training and something that I hear constantly online as well as from my prior patients was, well, I have hypermobility syndrome, therefore my other doctor told me I can't lift weights, I can't strength train, I can't do all these things and I'm so sick of hearing it. So I reached out to Katie and Andrew and I said, you guys got to be on the show and we got to talk about this. These folks are experts in rehabilitation and strength training, and they're gonna tell you all about why you absolutely can and must strengthen your musculature, as well as talk about their programs that they offer for folks just like us who are a little bit gumby around the joints. Let's jump in. Have you been looking for an in-home infrared sauna? Look no further. I've done the research for you and I found the one. My sauna of choice is by Sunlighten. They've got 23 years in the business. Their quality is unmatched. They are directly involved with each unit from production, process, start to finish. Their heater quality, it's like surround sound of infrared heat. It feels delicious and not all infrared heat is the same. They've got ultra low EMFs. I know you guys ask about that a lot. It is third-party tested and proven. They've got options for everyone from portable units to walk-in box saunas. You can save up to $600 off your purchase right now when you use the link in the show notes and you mention my name, Dr. Tina. I hope you enjoy your new sauna. It's the best biohacking tool I can think of for walking into winter. Welcome to the Dr. Tina show. I'm so excited to have you guys on. Uh, Katie and Andrew from Wealth. I found you guys on Instagram. I really resonate with your message and I cannot wait to share your expertise with my audience today. Will you guys introduce yourselves, please? My name is Katie Goss. I'm Andrew Dettelbach. And we are we're the founders <laughs> of Wealth. We also have one other team member. He's in California. His name is Cameron. And the three of us are the ones that are running the show. Just us, no employees. Yeah. We've been making online programs to help people through chronic pain um, and improve their overall health and wellness for seven years now. Yeah, since 2000, I think the end of 2015 is when I made my first program. I've learned quite a bit since then and they've they've changed over the years and that was with a previous company. So this one has uh, much more succinct information. People get really good results from this one. I love it. So tell me about you, your backgrounds, because I had been paying attention to your Instagram page and I watched you grow it over the past few, I don't know, few years. And I was so excited about what you were putting out there. And then you guys came out with some information around hypermobility syndrome. And I was like, bingo, I got to have these folks on my podcast. So let's talk about that a little bit, EDS, what it is and your personal relationship with it. Yeah, so um, my background is in nursing. I used to be an acute care nurse, um, take care of cardiac patients. And 
you know, when it comes to hypermobility and you learn more about it and you get that diagnosis in hindsight, a lot of things in your life tend to make sense. Um, so really some of very early signs of hypermobility for me, even as a baby, um, you know, delayed milestones, couldn't hold my head up was just, they called it floppy baby back then in the eighties. Um, now they know that that's kind of a sign of, of connective tissue disorders back then. They didn't know that. Um, and just had a lot of pain and injuries as a kid and just kind of thought it was normal. Um, and then it was after I had my second child that I had very significant um, pelvic organ prolapse. So um, I had a prolapse of my small intestine, uterus, um, the posterior vaginal wall. Um, and it didn't really make sense why I had such significant prolapse because I didn't have a traumatic birth. Like they're just, it didn't make sense. And I began asking a lot more questions as a nurse. I needed it to make sense to me why this was happening to my body. Um, I ended up going through a six hour pelvic reconstructive surgery to kind of put everything back in place and ultimately ended up being diagnosed with something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. Um, I, you know, had hypermobility all over my body and because you have connective tissues in every system of your body, it does have very systemic impacts beyond just the joints. Um, some people will refer to it as, you know, double jointedness or people know more about the impact on the joints, but you know, it impacts your GI system and your nervous system and, you know, literally everything in your body. Um, and when I met Andrew and I saw he does all these party tricks and he's very, bendy. And, um, I thought, my goodness, if I have this thing, you have to have this thing because you're even bendier than our, than I am. And he, uh, I told him he should ask to go see a geneticist and find out. So for me, I have a degree, degree in kinesiology. I was going to go to PT school and ultimately decided not to, because I was developing something online. I made an online program, as I mentioned earlier, and was able to serve thousands of people, tens of thousands, literally millions all around the world. So for me, it was like, if I'm able to do this stuff and I'm, I'm successfully helping people, I can stop there, not take on the loan required to, to go to PT school. And I've been able to help significant number of people relative to like in-person work. And Katie came along. She was one of the first people in my original program. And that's how we met. She, I was helping her and eventually she started working for us at the time. And obviously working relationships communicate quite a bit. And um, so that's how our relationship started to form. But she was interested in me is my my flexibility because I've had a significant number of injuries. My EDS um, in the first part of my life really presented a lot in musculoskeletal issues and tissue issues, damage, as well as a lot of allergies and just uh, skin reactions. And you know, I've I had a 10 millimeter disc herniation when I was 23. I had um, some serious foot issues when I was eight. I've had chronic pain since I was a little kid. And over the years, I've luckily been able to experience pain in every single joint of my body. I say luckily because it has allowed me to really learn from every single uh, situation, every type of pain that my body can experience, which is I've found to be fairly similar to a lot of other people. So I've been able to really relate with people and what they're experiencing with their pain and injuries and to be able to help them understand how to overcome those injuries. 
And so Katie told me to go see a geneticist because I could do all these crazy things. I've experienced a lot of pain in my life. And um, I was diagnosed with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I think you found my report recently and my Baton score was only five out of nine. I thought it was higher than that. Was it? I don't, I don't remember I don't know. what but, it was. But, you know, the, for, for those of you who don't know, the Baton scale, the Baton scoring is a way to kind of test for hypermobility, but it's very general, very like kind of generic in my opinion. Yeah, it only, and, it only looks at a certain number of joints. And if you're not, if you happen to not be hypermobile in those joints, but have a lot of hypermobility in other areas, it doesn't, I don't think it's the greatest tool. Um, my geneticist used like 20 other things to determine that I had hypermobility that I'd never seen anywhere else. So, yeah. but that's, that's a, uh, now we're here. We have our hypermobility <laughs> program. Yeah. And that a lot of that comes from Katie. Katie is the super knowledgeable person in regards to all of the things involving hypermobility. I've learned everything that I know from her. So she's she's got that down. Well, we both so when we were diagnosed, both of us went through kind of an interesting phase. I guess I'm much more of an information seeker. I want to know everything that I possibly can about everything. And I dove into just researching and reading everything I could and joining some groups on hypermobility. And it was uh, really depressing. Um, these groups tended to turn into competitions for people to really rant and complain and almost try to one up each other about who's sicker and who has more issues and who's more limited. And, you know, reading everything that I could about it. Um, and because it impacts, you know, potentially every system in your body, there are a lot of potential issues that can occur because of it. Doesn't mean that everyone's going to have all of those things, but it can be very overwhelming to read about and, you know, think about all of those worst cases. One of those being dislocations, which everyone loves to say they're dislocating things. Yeah. We hear that a lot with the hypermobile community. Oh, I dislocate every morning. It's like, well, it's, you know, if it was a true dislocation, right. it's very different than like a sublux where you're right. slipping out a little bit and <laughs> back in, you know? And so some of it's definitely like educating people on just how the words we use can impact what we feel in our body and not, you know, catastrophizing things. Um, but there just weren't any good resources out there. For someone who was athletic, it was really important to me to continue to be strong and athletic. I knew historically that the more that I worked on strengthening. Like I got into weightlifting when I was about 18, 17, um, because it just made me feel better. The stronger I was, the less pain I had, the better all my joints felt. I mean, just everything functioned better. And they're just, you know, it was the information I was coming across was like, you know, with hypermobility and EDS, you need to be very careful. You should swim, maybe do some gentle Pilates, you know, and it just didn't make sense to me. Um, after I had that six hour surgery, I got very deconditioned because I couldn't exercise for a while. And I had so much more pain and everything, you know, I just literally felt things being more, more loose, my joints being more loose. Um, and if you just think about it from a common sense standpoint, you know, what are the things that hold our joints together? And if our ligaments are loose and more lax, what else helps hold things together? You know, right. muscles. So why wouldn't you get them as strong as you can, you know, do everything that you can for yourself. And that was the opposite message that we kept seeing. And I just, I got really frustrated and just felt like we needed to make something to show people that you have so much more 
power and control over how you feel than you think that you do. Yeah, I love it. That's really what grabbed me about you guys. Cause I similar, like very similar childhood, very similar the whole way. And then when I was just out of undergrad, I found myself as a receptionist in my mentor, uh, Dr. Rick Marinelli's clinic, and he did prolotherapy. And a lot of people don't know what prolotherapy is, but it's where you actually address these hypermobile ligaments. I mean, you, you, you know, ligaments, what I always tell patients is your ligaments are like rubber bands. And over time they get they start to get worn out and hyper-stretched. And often where the ligament or tendon meets bone is called the anthesis, and that will have these micro-tears. And those micro-tears can cause a tremendous amount of pain because it's a highly innervated area. And so he was injecting people with sugar solution, literally dextrose. And I was blown away at what I was seeing. Like, I just couldn't believe what how people came in and then versus how they walked out. It was just night and day. And so I literally committed my entire life to learning this and getting really good at it and had a huge practice in it. And yeah, these fancy things like PRP and stem cells came along, but I still am a diehard prolotherapist at my core. And it's, it's not an imaging based, um, therapeutic. It's a hand, it's a feel, right? It's, it's your hands. And so I got so good at feeling these nuances in these tendons and ligaments and just these small little micro tears. I could literally palpate them. And if I could reach, if I could recreate that person's pain by palpating it, I could inject it and I could help relieve some of that pain. And so of course I, attract, I mean, pretty much everyone who walked in my clinic had some level of hypermobility, right? To some degree. I mean, they wouldn't be in there usually without it. And I'm that girl that rolls over in her sleep and my shoulder will kind of slurp out a little and slurp back in, you know, and I, I honestly don't know how people like for folks like me, I'm like, how do we, I would never be able to function without Prolo. I inject myself regularly (laughs) because it's such a phenomenal treatment. But the, the bottom line was folks with EDS would come in that were diagnosed who did know they had it and they would have just this whole bag of excuses with them you know and it was so frustrating for me because i like you i'm big on strength training and i'm like you guys what else do you have to hold you together like if your ligaments are compromised genetically you can improve that to some degree with some hormonal balancing you know targeted nutrition making sure we have your gut health in order etc but at the end of the day, like your muscles are all you got. So it's a passive care. I think the world really predominantly functions in a passive care model. I know PTs don't, chiropractors generally don't, but this model where like doctors do things to you. And I am a big fan of this active care model where the patient is taking the reins of their own care and they're getting themselves in together or together, but they often didn't have resources, you know, they, I'd say go hire a personal trainer or strength and conditioning coach. And they would, and then of course they would get hurt because they did too much too fast. And a lot of these coaches were completely unaware of these collagen issues. And so I think of Marfan syndrome sort of as like the far extreme, you know, it's like a, there's a, there's sort of a rainbow in there where you can land. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of folks actually have some degree of hypermobility and especially if they're eating horrible diets, you know, they're just, their collagen is and all autoimmune disease at the end of the day is a collagen issue. Like at its core, every single autoimmune disease is a collagen issue. So I think that it's just phenomenal that you guys have created a program around that because hopefully people will realize, as I always tell them, like this stuff doesn't get better unless you actively do something about it. Right. Like those are the people that end up with multiple joint surgeries down the line that don't really stick. Yeah, I think, you know, we we communicate with hypermobile individuals every day that have a variety of, you know, different complaints and worries. 
And one of the big ones is the strengthening. Like people think that strengthening just involves, you need to be able to do a heavy back squat. You need to be able to do heavy deadlifts and bench press and like do a CrossFit. And like that, that isn't what we mean by strengthening. Like we have people starting off on the ground doing isolated joint movements first, like really understand how their joints work. And then you're adding a little bit of resistance on top of that, whether it be bands or body weight kind of calisthenic type work or, you know, a little bit of light weights, but just gradually improving the strength with light resistance over time. And I think when, when people think of strengthening they think of that, that gnarly stuff and it's, yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I think a lot of them also will, you know, sometimes take some steps in the right direction and, and either hire a trainer, like you said, or do group fitness classes or something. And then they get hurt, you know, because they're not having that one-on-one education and, you know, the proprioception is kind of poor in people that are hypermobile, usually if they haven't been working on it um, and balance. And, you know, it. I think it does, you know, maybe make them a bit more prone to injury. I certainly experienced that myself until I really understood movement and started learning about, you know, positioning of the pelvis and the ribs and what, you know, inhales and exhales should actually look like and feel like and what are, you know, range of motion for my shoulder is, you know, what's a healthy range of motion and what's that point that's too much where I'm going to get hurt, you know? Um, and then strengthening in that range, when you get to that point where it's that passive range of motion, you know, strengthening into that full passive range of motion so that you have more control in those, you know, those stretched out ranges where you're more yeah. prone to get injured, strengthening in those so that you're, you're just yeah. more equipped when you do find yourself in those awkward positions, because we do, you know, we're, parents and we're playing with our kids and life isn't perfect. There are always times that you find yourself in those situations and just preparing your body for them um, has just been so paramount. Yeah. If there's a position where you're concerned about dislocating, you actually need to train that position. Obviously you don't just start there, but eventually working into, all right, if you dislocate in this position, we need to start building strength there in a variety of different ways. And that's going to help make the joint a bit more resilient. Uh, it's never, you're never going to bulletproof yourself as people might say, um, there's always a chance of injury and that's, that's part of life. And that's the other thing that we talk about is pain and injury are normal parts of life and you're going to experience them. It's important to embrace them. You're listening to what the pain is teaching you and listening to it, letting it guide you in a direction, not fearing it. Don't let it, don't let it overtake you. Yeah. Pain is just the, the body's nervous system telling you what's up. It's it's just an, and anybody who's athletic knows I was a gymnast. And so I was chronically hurting myself as a kid to the point where my mom had to pull me out because it was just like injury after injury after injury, because I was fearless <laughs> and stupid. Uh, I, 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 to this day, I'm a little stupid, but I, with my body, I'm like, I can do that. And my body's like, no, you're almost 49. You can't actually do that anymore. I just recently had a pretty severe Achilles injury and doing sprint intervals on my treadmill and I didn't have the incline set up high enough. It's funny, we get stiff as we age. And so this hypermobility syndrome is really interesting at different age groups too, you know, looking at it in my patient base, because when you're, I, I actually think it's an evolutionary advantage because when you're, what I would tell patients is when you're younger, if you have some level of hypermobility, you will actually just overstretch a joint versus break a bone and have that bone protrude through the skin, which mm -hmm. would have been a life ending situation back before antibiotics, right? Like you would have gotten sepsis and died. And so I think hypermobility is actually a genetic 
I think it's it's an advantage to some degree in a in a different time and place. But as we age, we start to get you know some hormonal disruption. Like hypothyroidism is a great example. It makes your tendons and ligaments really tight and brittle, and so you start to pull off the anthesis. And I was actually so excited when this injury happened because it was mid tendon. It was not up at the musculotendinous junction and it was not down at the anthesis. It was right smack in the middle. And I was like, well, that I can manage. And it was almost a full thickness like rupture. And I didn't rupture, knock on wood, thank God. I did not rupture it. But the um, last few, it's been frustrating, of course, but it's been so cool because I have a therapeutic ultrasound so I can, or diagnostic, I can look, right? And I'm so stoked at how it's healing. Like I'm so proud of myself that I'm regenerating so quickly. And I just, I have a different mindset because I have been hurt so many times and I've come back from it that I I'm with you. Like part of being alive is being able to move and being active. And with that just comes some inherent potential for injury. But how exciting is it that we can build this slab of muscle that's functional around our bodies to protect us. And that's mm -hmm. up to us. And it's such a cool thing, you know? And I think a lot of folks actually end up with, you know, diagnosis of fibromyalgia or some of these sort of chronic pain conditions because their nervous system has gotten involved and they're hypersensitized. Yep. But the way out of that, and this is, I believe, in relationship to some hypermobility issues. And but the way out of that is through motion and movement. And your mechanoreceptors override your pain receptors. So the like you mentioned, Katie, early on, like you feel better when you're active. And as you became deconditioned, everything started getting loosey goosey again. And I've experienced that a few times over in my life. And it's like, man, I have control over this, which I think is a really empowering place to be instead of like, oh my God, I have to go work out. I'm like, I get to work out. Question for you. Even with your Achilles injury, have you exercised at all? I have to some degree, but then I hurt my shoulder. Oh man, I almost lost my mind. I, and it's always something stupid. I was trying to close a very wide window, a very heavy wide window that was a little bit stuck. And I went like this, I was internally rotated, extended out and trying to go, you know, this way. Yeah. And I knew the leverage point that I was at. I was at that end point of injury and I knew it. And I'm like, I am in a bad position right now. And so of course I got on a stool and I got behind it and shoved it closed, which was better. But I woke up the next morning. I think I just because I'm hypermobile, I think I just displaced my biceps tendon a bit. So after some manual therapy on my own and some work, I got it back in and I was okay. Like the pain went away almost immediately, but yeah, I like number one, number I don't boot people. I don't immobilize joints ever after I treat people. I movement is number one therapy. Like I, and knock on wood again, I've never had a patient get in trouble by not immobilizing. I I am out every single day walking to tolerance. I'm standing on balance boards at my desk. I'm doing air squats. I'm doing hinge, you know, hinge work, deadlifts, not super heavy, but just trying to take it that pull to just to the edge and then bring it back, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of with it as much as humanly possible manually. <laughs> so, because that induces the stem cells in the area to work and it yep. induces healing. It's like prolotherapy, right? So, and I will inject it when it stops yeah, it's pretty painful right now. I think I might pass out if I have to do that to myself. But um, yeah, I mean, movement is, that's it. That's the, the ticket to healing, right? Yeah, I was curious because a lot of people will get an injury and they'll just kind of stop moving. I'm like, well, you have a whole other half of your body. And even if <laughs> even if the other half of your body gets an injury, there's still things that you can do. There's ways around it. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, if I don't move, I go crazy. I'm, And I, like you, I'm a fidgeter. So I'm always... I think that's how I stay lean all these years is I I'm wobbling on balance boards or on, 
gym balls or, you know, stand, I have a desk that goes up and down all day long. And I think that these are, I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? What's what, what is the constant uh, fidgeting about? Um, so I've actually read about that uh, being more prevalent in people that are hypermobile, just trying to find a comfortable position that it um, apparently takes more energy for our muscles to hold us up than it does for someone who's not hypermobile, who are resting in their joints a bit more. We kind of want to hang on our soft tissues because we get tired of our muscles. Um, but for me, you know, if I sit in one position very long, I just, you know, I start to get a little something doesn't feel like it. So I'm just always... I've always been that way, fidgeting and moving. And that's how we have our house set up. You know, we have the standing desks. We have little cushion pillows that we can squat and sit on. We lay on our stomach. We have, you know, bolsters and different types of chairs. And we stand at the counter. And I mean, we're just, every 30 minutes, we're switching positions when we're working at home. I, I think, think it's, it's great. Yeah, it's it's a healthy way to just get yourself up and moving around anyways. I mean, just sitting all day is not not great. Just standing all day can also not be great. So just kind of shifting around uh, to different positions is great. Exactly. You guys did a great reel about that. I was in the middle of some pretty heavy computer work and you guys, you guys, all your reels are great, but you, you did a reel about the multiple positions you're in during the day working and, you know, at the, you know, coffee table. And I have an ottoman that I... I mean, I'm literally all over the house all day long myself. And my husband thinks it's funny, but I'm like, no, this is just, and I think back to, you know, I got diagnosed and I probably do have some degree of ADD, but I've always been able to harness it as a superpower. But I got diagnosed as um, hyperkinetic as a kid. That was the diagnosis back then. They didn't have ADD. They had hyperkinetic. And the doctor's advice was to get me a pet rat so that I had some little animal to take care of. I have no idea the correlation there, but it was awesome. <laughs> Super fun. And then I was like, I get a rat. That's cool. I got a rat that I trained to actually come when I called him. It was pretty, his name was Elrod. It was great. And then number two was to get me all off of all white foods, cookies, crackers, sugar, and all of those things degrade your collagen. White foods are not great for your collagen synthesis. And so, and I think he was trying to get my immune system under some level of because I had a lot of allergies. I had, I basically had autoimmune disease, I'm sure at quite a young age. And I just, it just manifested as rashes and um, emotional stuff. I cried a lot. I was really, you know, hyper, emo not hyper emotional, just hypersensitive, but who knows what that was due to. And it worked. I mean, it was phenomenal. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And then I was always a patient of chiropractors as a kid. So my chiropractors were always really helpful, keeping me, keeping my pain under control. But I literally threw a softball in a game in seventh grade and like my shoulder dislocated from the throw because I threw sidearm and I remember it going pop yep, right out. position right there. Yep. I know, right? It's the same with the hips too. I mean, that's, I've seen patients just their hips slurp right out and it's crazy. But I do think that moving all day, you know, you can't, I think it's honestly, my um, explanation for it is that in thesis, those endpoints of those tendons and ligaments are so innervated. And it, it's also where your tendons and ligaments actually transition into bone. There's not a clear delineation at that spot. Those cells just transition over time into mm -hmm. bone. And so that's where the disruption happens. And I think a lot of chronic pain for people. And unfortunately, that will lead to obviously internal joint disruption. And so they'll start to get tears in the meniscus or inside the joint or the cartilage will start to wear away. And then they get sent. I mean, the orthopedic world is such a freaking scam. 
you know, they write the MRIs to justify the surgery. And then the person's in surgery for something that would have easily been treated with some injections or some rehab or something much better and less invasive. And as we say in the orthopedic world, surgery begets more surgery. And so a lot of these folks Mm -hmm. down the rabbit hole, I'm sure you see a ton of these people in, in your business too. So anyway, what are your thoughts on all yeah. of that? What, what do you guys think about the orthopedic industry? <laughs> I, you know, I think it's like, I guess, all industries. I think that there are good professionals and bad professionals. Um, we do have a few orthopedic physicians who actually refer patients to us um, when someone right. hypermobile comes in or someone who, uh, you know, there are, there are some who I've met who I trust their opinion very much because they are very conservative with surgical intervention. Um, and you know, they will send people to us and say, you know, you're, you're not a good surgical candidate. It's not necessary. It's going to cause more harm than good. Go learn how to move your body. They'll send them to our programs. And those are the people who, if we do have someone who we truly feel may need, you know, surgery, we'll send them to those, those, um, physicians. Unfortunately, those are not the majority. I would say, I think, um, in our experience, a lot of, it's like, if you go to a surgeon, looking for a solution, the solution that the surgeon is going to give you is surgery because that's what they know, you know? Um, So I think, you know, people just taking ownership of their health in general, whether you're hypermobile or not, and really in any aspect and just educating themselves and doing everything that they have in their power to make themselves healthier is is great. I mean, we touch on, you know, you, you talked about the nutrition and cutting out the white foods and you know, one whole section of our program is just on nutrition. And I think people sometimes come into our program with pain and they're like, why I don't need this section. We're like, no, you, you do though. And you start to realize as you experiment with your nutrition and your sleep quality and how you manage stress, how everything really is connected. And that's when people, I think, start to feel so empowered and they start to realize the light bulb starts to go off that their future, you know, yes, you, your genetics are your genetics. You can't change them, but you can change the way that it's expressed based yeah. on how you live your life, what you put in your body, what you put on your body, what you do with your body. Um, and that's just a really beautiful thing to see when people, when people figure that out and it starts to click and they realize that they, they have a lot of control over how they feel and, and they start to picture their future differently. Um, and it's just a big, big transition that people go through really need to see. Yeah, for me, I think pain management doctors are, in my opinion, some of the gnarliest people out there. Um, I've met quite a few. I used to work in a clinic for four or five years, and I'd work with all kinds of different patients, and they'd come in basically addicted to Oxycontin, and they'd get all kinds of injections, and they'd go back to the pain management doctor. This isn't working. Give me something stronger. And, uh, you know, they just kind of cycle through more and more of these hardcore medications and they the doctors are just like yeah more injections and never getting to a solution and i think medication and surgery and all these things have a place and if those things can help you get back to a more active lifestyle then utilize them but if you find yourself only ever relying on these short-term fixes then you're going to be lost you're, you're going to be stuck in this place of pain and frustration and anxiety and depression, ultimately, um, you know, you like if you're on oxy, you need to take that time to start working on your movement, start improving your diet and whatnot, and weaning off of that and find a way with with your doctor to get off of those medications, which we've helped 
hundreds of people do in our programs over the years, which is incredible. That's probably one of my favorite things that I see from people in our programs. Like I'm off my meds finally, like they're gone. And like that is a huge win. That's huge. That's such an epic. People don't realize, you know, two things you mentioned injections. People don't realize cortisone is like the first that, that's lit. I mean, often I can't get an MRI authorized for a patient unless they've already had a cortisone injection and it failed. That is how the system is set up. And cortisone is catabolic. So they take a cortisone shot and it makes that ligamentous laxity a thousand times worse because it degrades collagen. It's horrible stuff. So now they've got a very decompensated joint that's super hypermobile already. It's the whole thing's a mess. And then with the oxy, what people don't realize is your microglial cells in your brain, when they become inflamed, right? Like it creates the central sensitization or this wind-up phenomenon of pain, which drives the pain. Mm -hmm. One of the things that winds up the microglial cells is opioids. So we've got a whole nation. I was there in my mentor's clinic as at a, I think I was 23 years old when the Oxycontin salesman came in and was like, Hey, we've got this new drug. It's not addictive. Like that whole thing. I was there for that whole, I'm, I'm that heroin. old. Yeah, I was there for that whole thing. And so anyway, people don't realize that opioids, especially chronic opioids, um, will wind up that pain. So they're just in this perpetual cycle. And I truly believe the only way out is through movement, through strategic movement. And the third part of that is that um, it causes you to forget. The opioids cause you to have memory lapse. And so you forget what's going on. You often become much more sedentary. I mean, it's just a really, I'm with you. Like it's a vicious downward spiral. And then anti-inflammatories that people, you know, are popping. I did a whole podcast episode on the evils of NSAIDs because people are popping those like candy and living off of them, literally, especially these hypermobile folks. And they don't realize that it shuts off your inflammatory cascade. And the first 14 days of that are critical for the rest of it to go to fruition for that collagen synthesis to be healthy. And so they're just shooting themselves in the foot daily to heal. So they're making a bad situation about a million times worse. And that's the modern medical approach to pain. It's it's enraging when I think about it, but cool. yeah, Learning I think people, yeah. I think people also have this assumption with over-the-counter medications that because it's over-the-counter that it's, there's no risk and it's safe. You know, with the NSAIDs as a, a cardiac nurse, we get a lot of people that will come in with GI bleeds and they just never, I think people don't ever read the label, you know, and they, they don't understand the risks and they just had no idea that they couldn't take it, you know, every six hours for weeks, months, years. Yeah, people live off it. Yeah, I went through a thousand ibuprofen and I was on tramadol and meloxicam and I think two other medications at the beginning of my herniation and in a four month period of time. At the end of the four months, they gave me an injection, you know, cortisone, and it worked for a week, 100%, like pain free. And then all of it came back and then some a week later. And I was just like, I, I went off all the medication. I just stopped and and just started focusing solely on movement uh, as much as I could. And I think after getting off the meds, even though it did help the pain a little bit, getting off the meds allowed me to progress much faster as a result. Good for you. That's not an easy, that is not an easy, it's crazy too. Something else about the orthopedic industry that I've seen is they'll take a patient knowing, especially if they're a Medicare patient, there's a lot of money to be had off Medicare patients. And I won't go into it, but I know all the details because I have talked to these docs who do it. They you get enough whiskey in them and they start telling you their secrets and it's gross. And so they take patients in knowing that they will fail care. They do a cortisone injection on one side of their spine. 
And well, your story just reminded me of this. And then they will bring them back another day to do it on the other side of their spine because they can't get paid if they do two in one day. They have to. So the patient's constantly coming back, which in and, in and of itself is not my favorite way to treat people. Like, I feel like that's a really passive sort of like, it makes yes. the patient dependent thinking, oh, I'm yep. going to the doctor and they're, you know, you guys get it. Yep. And then, so when the cortisone fails, then they get to do surgery and they know the surgery is going to fail. And this happened to my dad. I knew when he went into this, I, we fought, I mean, we got an epic fight. I was like, dad, they are, they're going to take you for a ride and it's not going to end well. And he did it anyway. And after the surgery, um, they sent him home with 120 dilaudid, which is a massively strong opioid with two refills. So they were, they knew it was going to fail and they were trying to turn him into a pain patient to move them to these pain pills. They, so what they, this would make him dependent on opioids, which would get him into a pain clinic like you spoke of. And I can't tell you how many patients I've seen go through the same rigmarole and it's crazy. And all of these people had one thing in common. They were completely deconditioned. I think, unfortunately, doctors really don't have too much of an option because of the, how insurance is running the show yeah. <laughs> for uh, I think it's I, they ultimately, you know, I've met a lot of doctors and yes, like even we in the clinic would take advantage. Like if we build a back brace, we would get paid like $600 from an insurance company, but we'd give them a back brace that was cost $23 on Amazon and, and fit all the criteria for that back brace. And yep. we, we do that all the time because like, otherwise we're barely making enough money and like, you know, you've got a doctor, you've got a bunch of employees, like you're, you're not making enough money to make this worth it. Yeah. That's ultimately why, I mean, a lot of my frustration as a nurse with just the medical system in general, the reason I left that and am doing what I'm doing now is because of that, you know, the constant, it is a business at the end of the day, you know, and the nurses are spread so thin as it is, and they continually take resources away from the nurses and the patients to just pushed out the door when they're not ready without any tools to succeed. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a very, very broken system. It really is. Well, on that note, how do you guys motivate folks? I, I know obviously they're probably coming to you because they found your content online. And so there's probably not a hurdle there for to that you're going to have to convince them. But when you are working with uh, patients who are maybe feeling a bit hopeless or like this is their death, you know, the diagnosis is such a death sentence for so many people and they really wear it like a badge of honor. Like, well, I have EDS, so I can't do that, right? How do you motivate folks? How do you convince them that you've got the, you know, you've got the right answers? You know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, educating them is a huge one. Even educating them on the, you know, the sensitization and how pain works, how chronic pain works, what's actually happening in your body. That in and of itself can be really helpful for some people just to understand. Um, you know, the fact that we both have EDS is helpful because, you know, sometimes when people are like, well, I have this and this and this, and I'm like, yep, I so do too. I. And I understand it's, it's, it's challenging. It is. It, I'm like, my organs fell out of my body. Like that was an unfortunate situation, but I, you know, you have power in, in any situation you can be the victim or you can, you can turn it around and you can learn from it and you can use it as a catalyst for improvement and growth. And, you know, getting people to realize that, that, you know, yes, you have this diagnosis, but you, you don't have to let that define you and you don't have to let that decide your future for you. You can do and be anything that you want to if you're willing to put in the consistent work. And that work is uncomfortable. 
And, you know, sometimes it's a balance of meeting people where they are and empathizing with them and hearing them. And sometimes it's like a little kick in the ass of like, well, you know what, you, you've been here for a month and you've just been complaining a lot and I hear you. And also what are you going to do about it? Because currently you're not taking any action steps toward changing things. And, you know, I think sometimes we do a little bit of bad cop, good cop. Andrew's a little bit better at the kind of just hitting people hard with with some of the messaging yeah i think you know people complain a lot and i think there's a quote i cannot remember who who said it but like don't don't catch your don't let anyone catch you complaining not even to yourself because when when you do that you're just going to get yourself caught in this cycle of like oh me i feel bad for me and ultimately you need to put in the work and i often tell people what what i went through i had multiple surgeons tell me I needed to have surgery. I had my disc herniation and sciatica down both legs for two years straight. And I didn't work out during that period, you know, to the extent that I was normally. And just telling people that like, I was told I had to wear a back brace for the rest of my life. I needed lumbar support. I wouldn't be able to squat again, deadlift. I wouldn't be able to do all these things with my life. And I've had multiple people tell me what I wasn't gonna be able to do. Ultimately you have to say that. Like screw the people that are telling you that stuff. And if someone is telling you that you cannot do something, you need to find someone else who is going to uplift you and support you. You need to change the community of people around you because a lot of the people that are in these chronic pain communities are around people that are going to bring you down. You're not going to achieve if you're stuck in that community. So finding people that can support you, that's what we, that's what we do. There's a million other communities I'm sure do that. I know that we do a very good job of it. And then you know, I also tell people about my EDS diagnosis. I went to the geneticist. He's like, you need to stop lifting. I, I, I didn't have any issues then. I was, I was pretty high level CrossFit athlete at the time doing really well. Katie's like, just go get tested. Make sure you don't have Marfans. I'm like, cool. So I went and he's like, you need to only do yoga, like stop lifting weights. And I was, I looked at this guy, he's overweight. He looks like terrible, shit, just a pile of shit. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I left and I PR'd my lifetime deadlift even to this day after that. I left, I was so angry. And at that point, I'd already helped thousands of people online in our programs. And I've talked to people about what doctors say to you. And I was just so frustrated. And I went to the gym, just picked up a heavy ass weight. And to this day, that's the heaviest weight I've ever picked up. And it felt great afterward. And it was just like, screw you, throw a middle finger in the air. Just... I'm with you a hundred percent. I always tell folks like, I don't trust. I don't, I became a doctor because I don't really like doctors because I got mishandled my whole life by doctors. And I uh, never take advice from somebody who isn't healthier than me or as healthy, or I don't take fitness advice from people who aren't as strong as me. It's not about size. It's not about adipose tissue or any of that. It's just about if they've got good form and good knowledge and good strength, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. But if they're a hot mess of health and they're like, you need to do cycling and yoga and you shouldn't do any of this. And I'm like, dude, do you lift? Do you even lift? Because if you don't lift, I'm not listening. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not, it, it's it's crazy yeah. to me. It's like fatty liver. It's so normalized because most doctors have fatty liver themselves, you know? So they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's wild. Totally. I think it's helpful for people too that we, you know, we're not sitting here preaching something that's unrealistic. The things that we teach and that we preach are things that we do ourselves every day consistently. We show up in our communities. 
we share, you know, stories every day of us getting, you know, in the gym or prepping food. And, and it's really, this is the life that we live. So we're not someone like up on a pedestal, like telling you what you should be doing while we're just sitting back, not doing it. Like we were, you know, people are like, I have kids. So do we, I have a business. So do we like, you can do it, you know? And I think some people just need to see that example that it's possible. Yeah. And also just sharing that it's not always fun and dandy. Like we're not always successful in all of the things that we preach and sharing that we're not successful in all the things that we preach. Like we're human. Uh, I look at some of these influencers that people are watching liver King. I'm going to name one who, whose life is just, I don't know. Do you know liver King? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's, in my opinion, he's ridiculous because everything is always perfect. Everything is always right. There's nothing wrong in this man's life. And it creates an unrealistic expectation for people. Like people are just like, okay, I'm only going to eat meat. I'm going to work out twice a day and I'm going to do all of these ancestral things. And it's like, that's not sustainable. It sounds fun in theory and it may be amazing. And it's also incredibly difficult. So being more realistic with people being like, yes, we do a lot of healthy things and also we fall off the rails and it's very normal for that to occur it helps people trust you (laughs) like you're not just this godly figure you're a human being and you've helped a lot of people and you're going to be able to help them too i agree i really try to share off you know as often as i can my health issues i've had this podcast particularly is where i get to share that injuries along the way you know, what's going on. It's weird though. People will only see what they see and read what they want to read. And so often they won't. And so they'll be like, oh, Dr. Tina, you think you're so perfect. And I'm like, are you new here? Are, like, have you just shown up? Because I share out constantly about the issues I've had growing up. I mean, I've been sick my whole life, you know, and I, I, I think that's part of the journey and that's what makes you a great you know, you, me, I mean, that's what makes us care about the work that we do and and be good at it. I, I really cared about helping people with pain because I had so much pain and I lived with so much pain and I care about treat, you know, helping folks with metabolic dysfunction because I mean, that's a huge part of this at the end of the day. If people's metabolism is screwed up, their ligaments are going to be compromised and their tendons are going to be compromised and there's no way around that. And so, you know, that's my message at the end of the day is like, that's the non-negotiable. And the only way to truly have good metabolic health is to do some level of strength training. It, it all goes back to that, you know? So it's all cyclical It all, everything you're saying ties together into this one thing where it's like, treat your body like a human being and move and lift. And I sure would rather get injured in a being strong or striving to be strong than get injured because I was so deconditioned that I broke a hip and that's the kiss of death, you know? Yeah. I mean, I still experience injuries and you know, I'm doing a bunch of crazy shit. And I still continue to work out like if it's a hamstring or a shoulder or calf or whatever, it's like, I'm going to continue to, I'm going to wake up, do the same thing every day. I'm going to go down to the gym. I'm going to work out. (laughs) I think that's important. You know, the goal setting too, and talking to people about what is your goal? Is it to be pain-free or is it to be free of pain? Because those are two very different things. You know, pain is a part of life and it's to have a goal to be pain-free is not realistic. Like, hypermobile or not, whatever your circumstances are, injury and pain are things that just happen in life. And so, you know, when people start to shift and realize that and the pain, you know, the goal becomes just to have the freedom to do what they want to do and not be limited by their pain, then it sort of starts to come together, you know, and people just have more realistic understanding. And with hypermobility also, you know, 
20% of the population is estimated to be hypermobile. EDS is very underdiagnosed. So for some people, it's just reminding them there are a lot of people out there with EDS that have no idea that they have it, that are doing incredible things because they don't know that they have it. Like, what would your life look like if you didn't have that label and you were just living your life normally? And I think sometimes that's the benefit of being diagnosed. You know, I was in my 30s. I had already lived a lot of life before I was diagnosed and and knew what I was capable of. That's something we see a lot of time with the EDS people. They get diagnosed and they stop doing the things that they were doing before and they start hurting more and they just kind of go down this rabbit hole. It's like, well, wait, you were great right before someone threw some words at you. Like, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. That's, you are not your diagnosis. I would so much rather, I mean, I've never been tested for EDS because I don't want to know. I know, I know enough to know it's not going to change the uh, therapy at all. If the therapy, if the therapy at the end of it or the treatment is going to change because of the diagnosis, Otherwise, I don't seek out diagnoses for even for many of my patients. I'm like, hey, it's not going to change anything we're doing on this end. I'm still going to tell you to eat well, move well, sleep well, you know, do the things. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to know. It's a collection of diagnoses. I'll often have a patient come in and they will want to throw down thousands of dollars for stem cells. And I'm like, okay, well, your shoulder has no muscle on it whatsoever. And I can show it to them under the ultrasound. Like there's no layer there with a deltoid. It's, it's like a paper thin little deltoid. And I'm like, how about you go spend those thousands of dollars getting some good train co coaching something something to build some shelves and get your you know get your muscle on and lo and behold three months later we'll check in on them and they're like oh all my shoulder pain's gone right and i could have been a greed centered yeah. physician and taken that money in a heartbeat and done the procedure but i'm like you're still gonna hurt at the end of it because you're completely deconditioned so at the end of the day the message that you and i are you guys and myself are bringing to the world is still the same. Like you still mm -hmm. got to build a slab of muscle. And I think the beauty of your program is that you teach people how to do it when they're in pain, which I know I understand pain is immobilizing pain is terrifying pain is, um, it can really mess your head up, especially when it's chronic. I've been there, you know, I've been to the point of suicidal ideation because I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was going to live with it any longer. So I get it. Uh, but there is a way out and it's so empowering when you have the tools to get out of it and you know better. And I think that's something, it sounds like what your program offers is like, here's some tools to just turn that pain dial down. We're not looking for pain free. Like you said, we're just trying to take it down a few notches so you can think straight and then yeah, make the next best decision. We take a full body mind and diet approach to it. So if you come in like with a specific knee pain or something like that, guess what? You're going to be working on your shoulder too, baby. You're <laughs> going to work on your neck, your breathing. You're going to work the whole system. And you, you've talked a bunch about the nervous system in more detail than I can. And ultimately, you know, when you start putting your brain power into another part of the body, it kind of takes your brain away from the area that has pain, helps to desensitize it. So we've got people working on the whole system up and down. You realize that like you're desensitizing the nervous system, you're building strength everywhere, you're shifting your mindset around how to approach this injury. And there's a lot of changes that occur. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what thing causes it. You're going to do a bunch of stuff at once. We're going to we're going to hit 1% improvements in all these different areas and you're going to see change. I don't care what specific thing does the most for it. <laughs> I love it. That's huge. That's it. I mean, you just said it in a nutshell. That's it. It's like you got to, my mentor used to always say, move your buns around. Because if you don't, it's, that's just putting one foot in the grave. And mm -hmm. I certainly don't want to age 
I, I, I call it intentional aging and I, I really am. And I'm trying to age with as much vigor as I can. And that 1% is true. It's something I say often too. I'm just trying to, to nail it 1% better every day because I, I want to be mobile. I want to be agile. I want to, I, I mean, shoot, something as simple as being able to have sex. I don't know if your clients ever talked to you about that, but that was a big one with my patients is they couldn't even mm -hmm. have comfortable sex. It was always painful no matter what position. And so, or um, another big one was men would come in and I'd really try to double down on their ADLs or their activities of daily living and find out like what's messed up. And they couldn't lay on their side anymore to spoon their partner because laying on that shoulder was too painful. So it was yeah. little things like that that they wanted back. Older folks would just want to be able to get up and down off the ground to play with their grandkids. I mean, yeah. just simple stuff, right? Yeah, those are the real things that like, we do testimonials every week on our page and none of them are like the before and afters. Like our program doesn't give you like a good physique change. It can definitely, um, but that's not what we're going after. We go after those things. It's like, are you able to wipe your ass again without pain like <laughs> those are the real things that people don't really talk about that matter a ton like just putting on your socks is huge and yes that's with the medical system it's it's so frustrating you know hearing you talk about aging and adls and mobility and you know being able to maintain the level of fitness that you have and the ability to do these things and then we'll have people come in that are in their 20s we had one just last week hypermobile has some cranial cervical instability and the neurologist told him or the neurosurgeon that he can't lift more than three pounds. And I'm like, do you carry your groceries into your house? Do you pick up your child? Like, how does that make a, any sense? A and pan on the I, stove. <laughs> I'm like, I want you to go back to him and ask him what are the metabolic impacts long-term for you as a 20 year old, if you can't lift more than three pounds, what is going to happen to the rest of your health? Like, forget about your chronic pain. Like what about everything else? You, you, know, nailed, you nailed that. Talk about that more because I mean, people don't realize it's that one little thing that starts the whole thing. And 30 years later, they're on all the medications for all these other chronic degenerative conditions, right? The stuff that kills you is the metabolic you know, issues, not the chronic pain. If you can let the chronic pain prevent you from doing the things that are going to stop the... Well, it's the cycle, right? It starts yep. with that, don't lift more than three pounds and they get depressed. Now they're on antidepressants. Now they're constipated. So now they're on laxatives. Then they're, you know, getting dizzy and they have anxiety and now they're on a, a benzo. And, you know, these are the patients that would... drives bad. <laughs> yeah, they would come into the hospital with a grocery bag of medications and they didn't even know what they were taking was, you know, every specialist gave them a couple new medications. And at that point, how do you even know how you feel? You're on so many different things, but they are so deconditioned and have, you know, they can't take care of themselves. They can't get out of a chair by themselves. These are the people that go home and fall down and break a hip. And it's just, that's it. That's, that's the downhill, you know, they don't have a lot of life left at that point. And it's so sad when we, I feel like it's, it's becoming younger and younger that we're seeing people come in that are being told, all the things that they can't do. And it should be the opposite. It should be doctors should be helping people do everything that they can, not limiting them. <laughs> Andrew's just shaking his <laughs> Yeah, just we, we I both mean, got big eyes. I don't even know what else time. to say. Just... <laughs> well, it's wild too, because then they get the gut, they get the big midsection, and now they've got the heart disease, the cardiovascular, right. you know, the cardiometabolic disease kicks in. Next thing you know, they're on beta blockers and lip, you know, lipid. Uh, some kind of statin to address their yeah. lipids and then their testosterone tanks out. Then they start to get dementia from the statins. It potentiates the diabetes. Oh yeah. It's, it's just the people don't, this is like America we're talking about, right? All you had to do was move and eat well. It's, it's just... 
I know. I know. And I know that's a hard, I, that's a hard place. I think people have a hard time starting that journey, right? It's, do you find that in, with your, there's just, so the, we, there's like inert, there's like this block to get. Yeah. That's where it's like, we, we talk about the 1% improvement each day. I think that's really hard for people to conceptualize what that looks like over time, but Yes, it is difficult to start. And especially when you're getting a new habit involved, it's like, all right, I want you to do one squat after you like after you get your cup of coffee or like after you get out of bed or like whatever it looks like, I want you to find a time in the day and do one squat the next day, do two and then three and like start to create a space for doing exercise. Or maybe it's um, a walk down to the mailbox and back and then a little bit further each day, you're just going a little bit farther. And that that little tiny improvement in creating space for this workout time is going to be huge for you. And you wanna take tiny, tiny baby steps to help create that. Yeah, I think, I mean, pain can be an excellent motivator, right? So when people come to us, they're pretty ready. Like they're, they're really mm -hmm. fed up, a lot of them. And we've had people tell us, Thankfully, not until they feel better, but have told us, you know, I was suicidal. This was my last chance. I had tried everything and I couldn't live like this anymore. Um, so I think it's a little bit easier when people are that desperate. Um, sometimes I think it's easier for them to implement things, but mm -hmm. we also take a very additive approach. So we're not overhauling everything at once. We're not taking things away from you. We're going to talk about adding in protein. We're going to talk about adding in some movement, adding more water, uh, you know, we're not going to just start taking away all your processed foods and like make it super hard. I think people, you know, get into these diets and these, you know, exercise plans that are really extreme and drastic and it's not sustainable. And everything that we teach is, is taught to be sustainable for a lifetime. It's not something that you do for 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. These are lifestyle changes that are meant to be maintained forever. Yeah, people are like, I can't do the these workouts in the program. Like, you know, they're designed to be about 15 to 45 minutes long. I'm like, great, do one repetition of each. That's it. One repetition of each exercise. Move on. But also practice it throughout your day if you need to. Like sit, sit at your desk and just do a couple of these like goofy little shoulder movements and then go back to work. Like you can just pepper these things in throughout your day. It doesn't have to be like a regimented workout. You can move all day long. And also how much time are you spending scrolling social media? Yeah. Because if you're oh telling gosh. me that you don't have 20 minutes for a workout, I just want to know like, how you, long you did found you us on Instagram. I know you've got some <laughs> time. <laughs> right. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, I get a lot of that. I, I, I tend to attract a lot of folks that are, at first I thought, oh, you know, the people who are on my page, they must also follow like some similar accounts around nutrition and such. And they, they get it. And then I realized that I'm attracting a large group of people who this is the first introduction they've had to this information. And so I have to keep, I have to be cognizant of that. And I think that just reminding people of the basics, I love the basics too. Like I'm such an athlete that way. I love to just go back and master the basics. And it sounds like what you guys are teaching really is that, I mean, these are just like how to be a human being one-on-one in the world. Right. And that's, it's not complicated. It just takes some level of commitment. And like you said, pain is truly a pain and vanity. I always said that in my clinical practice, like pain and vanity. If I could touch on one of those two points, I could usually get somebody to shift and it's usually together, right? Like after enough pain, you start to not recognize yourself in the mirror. And so getting, mm -hmm. having, and again, I, I just share this because this is so passionate to me. Um, investing in a program like yours makes sense because it, it sounds like it's giving people tools. And when you have some control over your pain, it's a whole different ball game than when the pain is controlling you. 
right? Like it's just a, that's a different world. Yeah, it absolutely is. We, we use the anatomy body painting you've probably seen on our page. So we have a biomedical illustrator who paints the anatomy. So we're able to show people even just some soft tissue work they can do and exactly where to place a ball to do some self massage. And when people have some tools like that, where when they're really struggling in pain, they can do something that will give them some degree of immediate relief. And just that, just that little tool can be so empowering. It can be enough for someone to go take that trip that they want to take or go to that wedding that they didn't know if they could make it through because they're, they're hurting so much. And, you know, just those little things can make such a big difference in getting people their lives back. Yeah. Once they have that one little win, whether it be just a pain relief from a ball, they're like, wait a minute, they kind of start to see the light. And even for the people that don't, they just, they're not seeing that progress immediately. Cause a lot of the time it doesn't happen like that. It's not, you're not seeing the super quick, um, relief from doing specifically just movement and stuff like that. And so we have people go through like a 30 day challenge, like you do this stuff for 30 days. Cause within that 30 days, we, we encourage people to like journal how they feel and kind of look back at, at their original results. And even though they don't, feel any change in pain during the moment, like the day they wake up, they're like, I feel the same. And they look back at their journal. They're like, wait, I wasn't putting on my socks a month ago. I'm doing that now. Like the pain might be there, but the movement is improving. And they start to see these little wins and it may not necessarily be the pain. Like maybe, wait, I wasn't able to pick up my kid or like hold them or whatever it was. And they start to lock on to some other things that can be viewed as wins aside from just pain reduction. And because by focusing on those things, you are going to get to that ultimate goal of having that pain reduction. I love it. I love this so much. I'm so glad you guys came on because I, this is a conversation I wanted to have with my audience for a long time. And I don't get to usually geek out with people who get it. So I appreciate you so much because it's, it's a, I mean, you just said everything truly that I think so many Americans and so many people in general are dealing with. And it's such an important topic that gets passed over or is incorrectly um, talked about. So Mm -hmm. from one fidgety girl to another, I got to go for a walk, you guys. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Oh my gosh. I am so happy to meet you both. And I hope we can continue the conversation at another time. And I, I I so appreciate you guys for coming on. Let the audience know where they can find you and all about your program, please. Yeah. Our website is www.spreadwealth.com. That's spelled spread W health. Our Instagram is at wealth. That's at W health. TikTok is at W health underscore. We have a very small YouTube. Don't worry about it. Spread wealth. (laughs) (laughs) We're not there on the YouTube yet. Me neither. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, People should follow your Instagram and TikTok. I'm sure it's similar stuff. It's so good. It's such a, every single day you guys motivate me and I'm like, okay, yes, I gotta, uh, truly uh, after setting up this interview, I was excited and I've been paying a lot of attention. And after my injury, it's, it was a rough go getting your upper and lower extremities messed up, you know, and I was in a mm -hmm. kind of a bad place for a few days and your account helped me. So I think you guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week.
This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.